millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Eurosports Full Throttle Bike Podcast. This is Monday, the 24th of August, 2020. Greg Haynes with you, and this a review of rounds four, five, and six, the second venue on the calendar this year for the Bennett's British Superbike Championship. It was Snetterton, and it was full of more drama and controversy with some great racing to boot across the weekend. Well, I'm afraid you stuck with me for this one. It's a bit of a monologue, a Gregory Haynes monologue for the 24th of August edition. Uh, looking back, of course, at Snetterton BSB, and then we've got two more podcasts coming up with James Whittam next Monday, and then Julian Ryder the Monday after that for the upcoming couple of rounds we've got at Motorland Aragon in the World Superbike Championship. But I've spent all night since we went off air, having been working at home, actually, for Motorcycle News this weekend. Couldn't get to Snetterton because of the quarantine coming in from Spain. So what a palaver it has been all year long. So I wasn't there, but I have been following it closely and speaking with various people, which I've been doing all across the evening and into the night. And in fact, it's midnight now as I record this podcast for you on Sunday night. So hopefully, with everything that's stuck in my head and the notes in front of me, I'll remember clearly what's happened. But where do you start? I think I'm going to go team by team through this one. And you have to start, don't you, with Honda Racing. Effectively, the only factory team on the British Superbike grid with the way the uh, the manufacturer supports the team. Of course, there's a lot of teams that are close to being full manufacturer entrants, but Honda is effectively the only real manufacturer team, if you like. And well, things really are paying off, aren't they, this year? Not only did they have another great win, their second win from three races in the Pirelli National Superstock 1000 season. And that was with Tom Neve, who... Just pipped Chrissy Rouse's BMW. Tom Neve now leading the series. So in stock trim, the bike is absolutely superb. And the British Superbike version, of course, not that far away from the stock bike, in the words of Glenn Irwin at the moment. But they've won 50% of the races so far. Andrew Irwin, of course, had those two wins at Donington Park two weeks ago, rounds one and two. And then round six was won by Glenn Irwin, who, would you believe, his average finishing position so far this season is second. And that really is saying something when you think that we've got no showdown this year, remember? So every single one of the points counts. 
He really has done well. 118 points so far from a possible 150. So my maths are not really the best, but let's just sort of see how that works out in terms of a percentage. That's 78%. 78% of the maximum points available so far. So well over three quarters have gone the way of Glenn Irwin. Great stuff for him. Of course, his brother, Andrew Irwin's had a bit more of a difficult weekend. But Glenn, first of all, you've got to say, quite possibly the rider of the weekend, although I'd throw Lee Jackson in there as a possible candidate for that one as well. But Glenn Irwin, difficult year last year, as we know, in 2019. He changed team. It felt like every five minutes he was changing team. And of course, he had all the pressure on him, didn't he, last year? With the knowledge that he was with the then reigning team, the JG Speedfit team, the Kawasaki team that had carry, uh, carried Leon Haslam to the title the year before. That didn't work out, but it really is working out now, isn't it? And in Glenn's words um, today, he just said, it's a sweet feeling. My career's always been quite progressive, but 2019 was mentally very difficult indeed. And you may have heard on the program over the weekend, Matt Roberts and the guys were chatting about that. Obviously, they heard um, quite a lot from Glenn over the Donington weekend about that in a VT we did there. But Glenn was just saying yesterday, times got very tough. Um, I've come into a really professional team now with no egos whatsoever and a bike I've really clicked with right from the off. And he's saying it's still so close to a stock bike, um, but it's already there. And, and unlike the olden days, we'll not get carried away and we'll just keep chipping away and, and get the ball rolling, keep the ball rolling, as it were. So excellent stuff for Glenn Irwin. He was fourth in race one, if you remember, second in race two and ran out of fuel at the end of the race. He was running out the last two laps, so he was very lucky to actually get to the finish line at all. And he could see in that third race that Tommy Bridewell and Christian Eden's pace wasn't quite so strong. So he got in front of them, put the hammer down, and the times then were dropping. And he was able to control the race, actually, from that point onwards. Precision, good control, good aggression, nothing mental, in the words of Glenn Irwin. And he's saying he's able to steer this bike from the rear a bit like riding on ice, but in a good way, he says. And I remember Mark Marquez riding like that, as he still does, of course, when he's in action. When I was commentating on MotoGP in Valencia in 2014, and Nick Harris was alongside me, and also Freddie Spencer joined us that weekend in the commentary box. I remember Freddie Spencer talking about that with Marquez. Steer the bike from the rear. It's like you're pivoting the bike from the rear. And that's what Glenn Irwin's saying he's able to do so well at the moment with the Honda. He leads the British Superbike Championship, having now taken his third career win and his first since he was on the Ducati in the very last race of the season back in 2018 at Brands Hatch. Other side of the garage, a real contrast in fortunes. Andrew Irwin drops to sixth place in the championship. He was coming from towards the back of the grid, as we know, following the penalty um, at Donington for the incident with Josh Brooks. Where do you start with Andrew Irwin? It's a really tricky one. Let's say, first of all, Andrew Irwin is, without doubt, one of the nicest guys in the British Superbike paddock. There's a lot of nice guys in the paddock, but he's definitely one of the really nice guys. Um, but I've counted now six individual incidents, six incidents for Andrew Irwin over the course of the last one and a half years or so. Number one, he wiped out Scott Redding at Silverstone, the opening race of last year. Number two, Thruxton BSB last year when he was bumping and barging with Redding and Peter Hickman in that race. Number three, the high-profile incident with Scott Redding when he took him down at Cadwell Park. 
Number four, the incident at Alton Park when he dropped all the oil on the track and then came back onto the track, uh, disobeying the marshal's instructions, went all the way around up Clay Hill and dropped oil all over the rest of the track. Um, number five was the Josh Brooks incident at Donington two weeks ago. And number six now, the incident we saw in race two at Snetterton on Sunday. What happened if you didn't see it? Irwin was riding very, very well. He had a collision on the opening lap with Alex Olsen's BMW in race one. So that was the end of that, which was a shame because Irwin had been unable to put a lap time in in that race, which meant he was at the back of the grid again for race two. But he was flying through. He was fighting with um, Ryan Vickers on the Lee Hardy run, RAF regular and reserves Kawasaki for eighth position. And as we saw him do several times successfully over the weekend, he went right round the outside of Corum Corner. The only problem was on the exit, he clipped the front wheel of Ryan Vickers, took him down. Vickers then slid across into Irwin. He went down as well. And that was both of them out of the race. Vickers left in tears. And incidentally, real no, no consolation for Ryan Vickers in his home round, because of course he is from uh, Thetford. So home venue for him. He's three rounds there. And a pretty scant consolation, to be honest, a sole ninth place in race one because he ended up high siding out of the final race on Sunday as well. Maybe his head wasn't in the right place, perhaps after what happened with the incident with Andrew Irwin. But either way, a real shame for Vickers because he was lapping on the leader's pace in race two when that uh, collision happened with Andrew Irwin. Uh, he's getting there. He's a star of the future. He was definitely going to be one of my showdown contenders for this year had we had a showdown. Uh, but watch out for Ryan Vickers. And a great shame that happened there. But back to Andrew Irwin. That happened. Uh, there was a lot of people then crying out on Twitter saying the guy should be banned. Perhaps that might have been a bit of a strong thing to do. But it is true to say, of course, that he does have form and with this sort of thing. And I'm sure as soon as he gets it sorted out, he's going to be one of the... He could go on to become one of the greats of British Superbikes, couldn't he? He's got that talent. And we know he's got the aggression. He's just got to tame the aggression a bit now. That's my personal feeling as a, as a non-racer, just as an onlooker, really, as a commentator, as a fan at the end of the day. Um, in terms of the actual penalty points and how this all works, I was chatting on the phone earlier on this evening with Stuart Higgs, who, of course, is the series and race director. And he was explaining to me a recap of the situation. So coming out of Donington Park, Andrew Irwin was on six penalty points. These are not championship points. These are penalty points on his license. So he was on six points plus a further three suspended points for the remainder of the season. So because he'd hit six points, that's an automatic back of the grid penalty. That's the situation where you have escalation points. This is a penalty point system that BSB has had for quite a while now. MotoGP then brought it in as well. And then they abandoned it, of course, after what happened at the end of 2015 when it sort of caught them out with Valentino Rossi being put to the back of the grid in Valencia after what happened at Sepang. But that's a story for another day, of course. Um, how do the escalation points work? Six points, six penalty points is back of the grid. Nine, start your next race from the pit lane. And if you reach 12, you are banned for one race. So the situation with Irwin at the moment is, came out of Donington with six points plus a further three suspended points for the remainder of this season. Because he was on six, that's one of those escalation point penalties. It puts you to the back of the grid for your next race, which is what happened at Snetterton. Now, after the incident with Ryan Vickers yesterday, two of the three suspended points have now been enabled. So that boosts him up from six to eight real penalty points and one suspended point. One more 
would be nine, and that will take him to the next automatic uh, punishment, which is a pit lane start. So Andrew Irwin, if he gets himself into trouble at any point over the Silverstone weekend on the Friday or the Saturday, will be starting from the back of the grid in his next race. The good thing for Andrew is that these penalty points expire on your license after 365 days, and it just so happens that three of those points are going to expire on the 6th of September, which is the Sunday at Silverstone. So provided he doesn't get himself into any scrapes or dramas or mishaps on the Friday or the Saturday, he'll, he'll be back down to five points he would be back to instead of the eight he's on at the moment. And then he's got a little bit more leeway. But even so, he'd still be on five. And remember, six is the back of the grid penalty. So he really needs to be careful now, does Andrew Irwin, because this system's in place. Remember, there is very much a likelihood that if something does happen again, that the organisers are going to give him more points than usual because of the previous. This is what Stuart Higgs has said all along. It's also something Scott Redding said, if you remember, in the interviews last year. If you're not learning from these incidents, you sort of need to be penalised in a more severe way to start learning from them. So that's what they're saying, and that's the situation at the moment. Hopefully, Andrew Irwin will not get himself into any scrapes, and I hope he doesn't, because it will be absolutely brilliant to see him back up there at the front and fighting for wins, as we know he could have done at Snetterton, because Glenn has proven that on the sister Honda. So that's Honda. Let's move on to our next team. I think we'll have to go PBM now, won't we? Vision Track Ducati. Now, very interesting situation. Remember, what generally happens in British Superbikes is that Pirelli introduces new tyres, first of all, to the World Superbike Championship, as it's the World Series, and then they start distributing these tyres, usually the very next season, to the domestic series, i.e., in this case, British Superbike. So this year, BSB, for the first time, is on the new, larger tyre with a bigger rolling diameter. Now, the rolling diameter is the, the wheel rim, plus the sidewalls on the outside, on each side. So basically the diameter all the way across the tyre, unless I'm mistaken. Um, it's new for BSB this year. Now, remember, testing's very limited. There was a test in Monte Blanco right back at the beginning of the year in uh, February, around the time when Philip, the same week, actually, as Philip Island World Superbike. So the end of February, there was the Monte Blanco test. There was a Silverstone test, wasn't there? Um, sorry, not Silverstone, Donington this year. There was a Donington test just before the start of the season. But that's not much testing, really. And Monte Blanco, in particular, in very different sorts of conditions uh, in Spain, as we've got at the moment. So, basically, the teams haven't had much time to test this new tyre. And they're turning up at some of these circuits now where they haven't really tested, like uh, Snetterton this weekend. And they can't simply roll out all the data, the bike setup data that they had from last year and years before, Last year in Ducati's case, of course, because the bike was new last year anyway. But they can't just roll out that data. They're having to go back to the drawing board. Now, that, coupled with the fact that it was very, very windy at Snetterton on Friday in particular, and MSVR were even considering shortening or even cancelling some of the practice because of the strong crosswinds. That's how bad it got. Strong gusts of wind um, in Norfolk. And we know how flat Norfolk is, so that didn't help either. So that was Friday. So nobody's really had time to properly dial in a setup, a base setting for the weekend. And I was chatting with Tara McKenzie about this earlier on, on the phone. And his teammate, Jason O'Halloran as well, for that matter, from McCam's Yamaha. And they were basically just saying to me, you need time to get your base setting in, in place. And Taz McKenzie was saying, the best weekends of his career have always been when he's already had a great setup right from the word go 
free practice one on a Friday and you don't have to keep making changes. You stick with what you've got and then you ride around the little problems and you just get used to what you have and that builds confidence and with confidence obviously comes lap time. When you've got no confidence and you don't know what's going to happen and things are happening on the motorcycle for no apparent reason and you don't know what's happening, quite naturally, you're not going to be feeling very confident, are you? So the lap times are going to go up, get slower. So that's basically what's happening. When it comes to Ducati, though, I was chatting also with Tommy Bridewell earlier on, and he's saying, think about it. The, the diameter of these tires is larger. So when those tires are on the bike, because the diameter of the tire is larger, it's actually bringing the bike further off the ground. Not my much. We're only talking by a fraction or so here. But it's a lot when it comes to bike setup. So the bike is further off the ground, and that's creating an entirely different set of circumstances when they get into the corner. So chatter is the word you've heard a lot about. We get a lot of chatter on this podcast, don't we? But in terms of chatter as a motorcycle rider, and obviously, as I say before, I'm not a rider. I'm just going off what's in my head from talking to these guys and from notes I've made. And I had a great chat on the phone earlier on with James Whittam um, when he was with Matt Roberts in the car going back up north to Huddersfield. And James sent me a voice message and he was talking about chatter. So Christian Eden said, you know, it's an absolute nightmare. Tommy Bridewell said it's a nightmare. Josh Brooks was talking about it across the weekend as well. Incidentally, how good were Josh Brooks's starts? Unbelievable, like a rocket ship off the line, wasn't he? In all three of the races, particularly race one. So aggressive, but so good off the line. Incredible. But back to the chatter. They're getting up to turn one, which is quite bumpy anyway, Rich's corner at Netherton. And they've got no confidence in the front end. And naturally, they're hesitant then in their riding. So here's the words of James Whitten from what he said earlier on. He said they're getting more chatter because they haven't had enough time to really get dialed in, as I've just been talking about, with the lack of testing and the uh, strong gusts of wind on Friday. Uh, he said one of the reasons Honda have maybe got the jump is because their bike is new. They've got no prior data with that bike. Other teams, of course, are sort of starting from behind in a way because they're going into a weekend thinking, let's use the data from last year. And all of a sudden, oh, that's a bit different with these tires. And they're on the back foot then. They've lost time in practice. There's not much time to get things sorted out anyway with the limited track time on a race weekend. Um, so that's another reason I think that Honda, as James Whittam also said, and I'd also say Lee Jackson, who wasn't on the Superbike last year, you know, they don't know any different, do they? Whereas others, such as Yamaha, uh, Ducati, you could maybe throw Danny Buchan into there, although he didn't seem to be struggling quite so bad with the chatter. But that's the reason a lot of those other guys are struggling. Here's the words of James Whittam. Chatter is a complex thing. And he said you can mask it, but it's almost impossible to dial it out completely. He said it comes from the fact that the tyre, inflated with air in it, has no damping whatsoever. And remember... Tires are the most critical thing because they are the contact between the motorcycle and the ground. So James says the air in the tire is springy and that combined with the grip you get from the tire means it deforms. So he said classic chatter is about 25 pulses per second. Now imagine that tipping into Rich's corner at whatever it is, 100 miles an hour or maybe more. 25 pulses per second. I can't imagine what that's like with the sort of force going through the handlebars there. James says it's really difficult to tune it out. Uh, ironically, one of the ways you can tune out chatter is by having less grip. Because the more grip you've got on the front, the more sensitive the bike is, the more you're feeling it. So if you actually have a little bit less grip, it can dial out some of the chatter. Naturally, having to compromise a bit of grip, which isn't ideal either. Uh, but he said at least you can then feel a little bit closer to the grip limit, if you know what I mean. And you sort of 
know where the edge is a bit better without, as Wit calls it, this feeling of impending doom. Um, because Chatter just gives riders the feeling that they're going to crash, basically. That's what's happening and knocks their confidence. That's why you hear riders referring to confidence, confidence, confidence. Uh, car drivers do it too. You hear it said in F1 all the time. MotoGP, British Superbikes, World Superbikes, the lot. So James was saying, if you have got chatter, how do you get rid of it in terms of when you're riding? You know, how do you diminish the chatter? And he said, well, basically, when you open the throttle, obviously the power from the engine goes through the rear wheel only, not the front wheel. So when you open the throttle with your right hand, a lot of that power is shifting to the rear of the bike. So at least some of the weight comes off the front tire and therefore the chatter effect goes away. Uh, he said it doesn't always work like that, though. Another way you can do it is by putting a lot more damping force on the front end. So by that, we're talking about suspension settings and things like that. Um, it stops it moving, but obviously you've got a little bit less grip, less feel. Uh, another way you can do it is by talking about, although this is actually illegal in superbike regulations, but you can run something called a tuned mass damper. And James Whittam, the eagle-eyed wit as he is, spotted this actually on the back of Marco Melandri's Ducati, uh, an exclusive here for the Full Throttle podcast. Thank you very much to James Whittam for it, of course. He spotted it on the back of Marco Melandri's bike during free practice on Friday for the Jerez World Superbike round a few weeks ago. Um, and he basically, basically what that is, it's a tuned weight to counteract the exact frequency of the chatter. It's a tuned weight, which is usually on the swing arm, but you can put it in most places around the bike where you can feel the chatter. Um, it's a little bit like active suspension in a way. You remember those of you who, who are Formula One fans may remember in 1993, the Williams Renault team uh, pioneered active suspension. And that, of course, was the other Adam Prost absolutely dominated the world championship. And Damon Hill was his teammate and was winning races as well that year. Hill won his first Grand Prix, if you remember, in the Hungarian Grand Prix that year. So that tuned mass damper on a motorcycle is a little bit like active suspension on a car in that you sort of program it to work in each part of the track. So it sets up the suspension for each part of the track, more or less. I'll talk more with James Whittam about this in um, World Superbike Commentary, if you like, on Friday. And he can um, explain it in a more of a technical way. Finally, chatter. Another way to get rid of it is by having substantially more pressure in the tyre. Because if you have more pressure in the tyre, imagine a balloon. You inflate a balloon. It becomes more rigid, doesn't it? It's less squidgy. Same with a tyre. So that means you've actually got less contact patch, less of the tyre in contact with the racetrack surface, which is less movement. And he says it's sort of less spring then out of the tyre and it's less grip, uh, which helps again to mask that chatter feeling. Um, although James just said, ultimately, you actually want grip and no chatter in an ideal world. But it's a complex thing to solve and it's not easy to solve. Otherwise, there would be no chatter because it's been going on for some years now. So those... The, the words of James Whitten there. Um, conversely, of course, just going back to tyres for a second, in a way to find more grip, you can actually take pressure out of the tyres. So if you imagine the balloon again, the balloon analogy, it's becoming squidgier. So if you have a balloon with less air in it or a tyre with less air in it and push it down, it's going to squish more. It's going to spread out more on the ground, creating a bigger contact patch. Therefore, you've got more grip because there's more of the tyre in contact with the racetrack. That can be dangerous, though, of course, in terms of tyre pressures. And that's why we've seen a minimum tyre pressure introduced in recent years. And there are spot checks carried out on the grid. And, you know, even recently in Portugal, 
there were world super sport teams being caught out with that, uh, which is crazy, really, because there's a minimum tire pressure rule and a lot of them trying to get away with it for more grip. We've seen it in the past as well, haven't we, with world superbikes? I remember people like Jordi Torres, Michael Vandermark, even Jonathan Ray, all sorts getting caught out at times with, uh, with tire pressures, not with the rule because the minimum rule wasn't there at the time. But uh, the more you lower the pressures, the more issues you can get at times. So that's the latest on that. So that's um, Honda covered. Ducati, great win for Christian Iden. How long had we waited for Christian Iden's win? It had been 140-odd race starts for Christian. And he's never really seemed to get the break before, has he? And he worked so well on his fitness. Um, more than most, it has to be said. That doesn't always give you success, of course, but he does work so, so hard. He's one of the nicest guys in the paddock. Really down-to-earth character is Christian Iden. Thankfully, he broke his duck but didn't break his arm because he could have easily broken his arm when he got it caught in the rear wheel of Glenn Irwin's Honda <laughs> just coming out of the Wilson hairpin on the slowing down lap of race one. But well done, Christian Iden. Isn't it great? You know, he even said to us last year, very openly, there is a pecking order. He knew he wasn't the favourite to get that PBM ride alongside Josh Brooks. Um, obviously, Scott, Rudd uh, Scott Redding left. There was talk of um, Taron McKenzie talking to PBM. There was talk of the two Leons, both Haslam and Camia, coming back into BSB and numerous others as well. Danny Bucket, I know for a fact, was close to joining the PBM team. And of course, in the end, he stayed with Kawasaki. So Christian Eden knows he was in the pecking order under all of these guys. But in the end, it's paid off, hasn't it? And Paul Bird put confidence in Christian Eden. Christian Eden's on the top bike. And at the moment... He's ended up becoming the first PBM rider to win this year, and he's second in the championship behind only Glenn Irwin and Tommy Bridewell. So excellent to see Christian Eden up there. Josh Brooks, I feel, was quite unlucky, actually. I think it's fair to say. I think Brooksy was a bit out of luck this weekend. Brilliant starts, as we said. Um, he was up there. He was fighting for the lead in all of the races. Remember, Josh Brooks is just one win away from his 50th career victory in the British Superbike Championship because he's on 49 now, having won uh, that second race at Snetterton this weekend. But I still think he was a bit unlucky, because although he had that one win, he kept him to uh, be getting duffed up by people on the track, didn't he? Uh, although you have to say at the same time, sensible stuff from Josh Brooks, because he's always thinking about the championship. So the fact he's had one second, one win, and one fifth isn't too bad. Bit of a struggle in that last race there in fifth place, but it was a real freight trade, and we know how close everybody was with um, Eden, Lee Jackson came through, um, Josh pushed down to fifth position in the end. But remember, that's Josh Brooks we're talking about there. He's one of the smartest guys out there and he's thinking about the championship all the time. And like the other Ducati riders, Josh has also been feeling that lack of feel on the front end and the chatter problems they've had. But Josh is always, he's, you know, he, he was very honest actually at Donington, if you remember, and said, you know, he was doubt. Sometimes he's doubted himself, and you know, am I doing something wrong with some of the issues they had earlier in the season? That's one thing about Josh Brooks. He's always been extremely honest, and he will be again, I'm sure, after this weekend. He's fourth in the championship at the moment. We didn't expect that, did we? Let's be honest. We expected Josh Brooks to be probably at the front of the championship at the moment, but he's there or thereabouts, and he's going to be again playing the long game as he always does so well. He always has done, even with the showdown, and he'll be doing it again. This year, Glenn Irwin leading the championship, then Bridewell is second at the moment. Then it's Iden, Brooks, O'Halloran and Andrew Irwin completing the top six.
So we've done Honda, we've done Ducati. Let's talk now about Yamaha. As I said before, I've been chatting with them both, uh, Halloran and McKenzie. Actually, first of all, Dan Linfoot, uh, not with the tag team anymore. Well, he stayed with the team, but he's not riding with them anymore. So it seems as though Dan has had a change of heart there. Difficult times for the tag team at the moment. They haven't had the best of reliability in that team. And Jack Kennedy's had a lot of technical problems. Just the one thirteenth place this weekend for the double super sport champion. So good luck to the tag team. Hopefully they'll be making some improvements sooner rather than later. In terms of the main team, the McCams team, I, can, I must admit, at the end of the races, I was thinking, oh, that was a bit disappointing from Yamaha this weekend. But when you actually look into it, I don't think it was as bad as it looks, actually. Jason O'Halloran's results, 8th, 8th, and 7th. Tats McKenzie, 7th, 7th, and 6th. So they were very, very close to each other. On this particular occasion, Taz was one position ahead of Jason in all of the races, um, which shows they're getting the most out of the bike. It often shows that when your two riders are together on the track, especially in three races like that, so consistently. Um, but they both struggled in qualifying. They were half a second and seven-tenths of a second off the pole position. And again, that comes back to what we said before. Free practice one on Friday. Struggling with the uh, the feel at the front. A lot of that to do with that new tyre, of course. Uh, it was very windy, which affects the smaller riders. It has to be said probably worse than the big ones. So that did affect Tara McKenzie probably worse than most of the riders. But they've sort of clicked now because they've been chatting. In the same way that PBM talk with the Ducati World Superbike team. Uh, and Oxford Products do the same thing, Tommy Bridewell's team. In the same way they do that, the cams have been conversing with Pata Yamaha and GRT Yamaha. They work very closely with people like Andrew Pitt and Les Pearson, the two crew chiefs from the Pata Yamaha team in World Superbikes. And of course, the Yamaha technicians overall. Of course, they've got two years of experience with the larger tyre. Remember, in fact, Michael Vandermark's double in World Superbikes at Donington in 2018 was due to the fact they had had uh, some extra running on that larger tyre. Remember that weekend? Vandermark had used that larger tyre in practice. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the race weekend before as well. So when it came to Donington and that larger tyre was working better, Vandermark had his double win and all the others, if you remember, for the second race, um, put that tyre on. So Yamaha know what they're doing when it comes to the larger tyre. And you can see now that the BSB guys are getting closer as well. And once Tara McKenzie had made a better start in the final race this weekend, he was actually right up there on the leader's pace and in the leading group battling with the hounds. Uh, Halloran was saying to me that Wilson hairpin used to be called Montreal, of course. It's now called the, um, the Justin Wilson hairpin turn two at Snetterton was a nightmare when you're coming from mid pack, as you can imagine. Again, it just goes back to the beginning of the weekend, doesn't it? And how important qualifying is. We've been saying this for ages now in World Superbike commentary as well. Um, Halloran was a bit annoyed with himself in a way. He was laughing, but he sort of laughed it off. But he said, we sort of missed the boat because he came into the weekend with his setup from Donington, which had worked very well for him. Remember, he was right up there at Donington. Topped pretty much the whole weekend up to the races. Um, it was a bit unlucky in the races as well. So we made setup changes after Friday at Snetterton. Um, but as it turns out, the wind was more influential than Jason thought it was at the time. He went back to his Donington setting for the final race on Sunday, and that was the best the bike had been all weekend. So he said, I sort of missed the boat by not reverting to that setup earlier, but you can only do what feels right at the time, I suppose. Uh, improved power delivery with that R1, which we know is a much improved bike this year. The chassis is the same, but the aero is very different. The engine's completely new. Um, so yeah, 
the stop-start nature of Snetterton with its infield complex didn't really suit the Yamaha that well. But we're getting to Silverstone, of course, next time out. Fast, sweeping corners. Think of Cops Corner. Uh, you think of Luffield, but in particular, Woodcote, of course, at the end of the lap. And that will suit the Yamaha much better. Very, very smooth power delivery. And they'll be fighting for at least podiums, you have to think, on that short national circuit at Silverstone. Not this weekend coming, but the one after, um, which, is, of course, is a clash weekend with that second Aragon, uh, Motorland Aragon round in World Superbike. So watch out for Yamaha because they are a coming. They're not too far away. A bit lost at the beginning of the season, you could say, with setup. But they're, getting, they're not the only ones, of course, but a bit lost in terms of setup. They're going to get there. And I reckon they're going to get there probably at Silverstone next time out. Massingbird, Mundy, Kawasaki. That's the FS3 team, of course. Now the factory team having replaced JG Speedfit. That's the team run by uh, Nigel Snook and Darren Fry. Uh, that's where, of course, the F and the S comes from. Fry and Snook in the team name there. Um, a bit of a puzzling weekend for Danny Buchan. What a shame, really, for the man who describes himself as the fastest furniture salesman in British Superbikes. He's the Del Boy of British Superbikes, the Del Boy of office furniture. That's what he likes to call himself. Um, I, I feel sorry for Danny Buchan, actually. His first ever pole position in qualifying. Of course, he had had a pole at Knock Hill in 2018, but that was race two, which comes from your fastest lap of race one. So his first qualifying pole, and then it all went wrong, didn't he? Caught out on a cold tyre in race one, crashed into the left-hander at Palmer's, which is that first left-hander at Snetterton. So the first time you're tipping it onto the left at racing speed after the safety car period. So that was a shame. And then James Whitten was just talking about the race one crash in race two. And it happened again uh, down at Agostini. This time he clipped the back of Bradley Ray on the BMW. Not a great weekend for any BMW. So I'm not going to talk too much about them in this particular podcast today. But um, that obviously compromised Bradley Ray. And Danny Buckham was down again for the second time, would you believe, in three races, having started from pole position. So poor old Danny. Um, that compromised, of course, his grid position for the final race of the weekend. And he managed to fight back, uh, but he only fought back to 11th position, which was five points. So it's one of those weekends he's just going to have to sort of forget about and go home, I think. We'll see what he can do at Silverstone. But you do feel sorry for Danny Buchan. Uh, wasn't the best of weekends for Boom Boom Buchan. It was almost actually as though the two Kawasaki riders swapped crash helmets this weekend. If, if you didn't know who was who, you would have said it was the other way around, wouldn't you? Because Lee Jackson, the rookie, the fresh-faced rookie up from the Superstock class, has had an absolutely brilliant weekend on his FS3 Kawasaki. He qualified sixth on the grid. He finished sixth in race one. He set a time to go fourth on the grid for race two. He finished fourth in race two. Um, and he was second on the grid for race three and finished fourth again. So one sixth position and two fourth positions. That is an absolute contender for rider of the weekend, in my opinion, along with Glenn Irwin. Um, Glenn Irwin officially got the rider of the weekend. And of course, he's also the winner of the race of aces. Uh, that was uh, rekindled last year, the race of aces. But uh, back to 24-year-old Lee Jackson. Well done, Lee. I, 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 For me, I think Lee Jackson was rider of the weekend, not taking anything away from Glenn Irwin or the other guys, but not at all expected. Uh, and Lee really doing a very solid job. He's the guy, of course, who's supposed to be the up-and-coming guy in the FS3 team, a star of the future. Well, he's becoming a star already, isn't he? And he's eighth in the championship now. Um, he's actually the leading... Kawasaki in the championship because it's Irwin, Bridewell, Iden, Brooks, O'Halloran, Andrew Irwin. 
Taz McKenzie, Lee Jackson, then Kyle Ride and Bradley Ray. Kyle Ride on the build by Suzuki. He was a bit out of luck, wasn't he, Kyle? But he's getting there. Um, stunning blonde hair now, of course. He's bleached it since his days in the World Superbike paddock. But um, Kyle, decent, decent stuff, really, when you look at it. He qualified very well. He was second on the grid. Excellent qualifying performance for, uh, for Kyle Ride, which excited Jack Burnicle and James Whitten, didn't it, in the commentary on Saturday. Um, but a few problems. He had a sensor problem, he was telling me, in race one. Uh, then the end of the weekend, he said the thing um, was basically throwing water out at him from the radiator on the Bentley Strait. Um, so he reckons it was overheating when he was in a slipstream. Obviously, when you get behind another bike, you're in the slipstream. Um, but all the temperatures go up as well because you're following the bike ahead of you. Uh, and obviously, not just because of that, but you're revving harder as well. So it was throwing out water all over Kyle Ride in the, in the last race, but he still did well to finish. And he's had uh, a very decent weekend. So as I say, he's up there in the top 10 of the championship. And what are his individual results? I'm just checking them out now as I talk to you. 10th, 6th, and 10th. Not bad at all, is it? And that, remember, is the man who actually got the first hole shot of the season. He led into Redgate Corner at Donington Park on that build-based Suzuki, the new-look white Suzuki, at the start of the season. Have I missed anyone in particular? I don't think I really have, really, to be honest with you, in terms of the British Superbike ranks. Well, Tommy Bridewell. I should talk about Tommy Bridewell. Uh, I touched on him before, of course. He's been suffering with the, the chatter issues um, that I talked about before. But he's second in the championship and he rode around the problem. And that's always a mark, isn't it, of a great rider as well. So the devises man, third, third, second. Three podiums then for Tommy Bridewell. You can't complain with that. And he is the leading Ducati in the championship. Who would have, just imagine that, who would have predicted even, well, one year ago, but certainly two years ago, that at this point we'd have Glenn Irwin leading the championship with Tommy Bridewell in second place. Isn't it great how things change? And we really have got a changing of the guard this year, haven't we, you feel, in British Superbike? Obviously, we're going to have a changing of the guard. We know that because the reigning champion, Scott Renning, is not there anymore. But it's a changing of the guard with these new guys like Jackson on the scene and Kyle Ride on the Suzuki. Storm Stacy, of course, who was looking forward to seeing Storm's first points finishes, hopefully, uh, at some point in the near future. Remember, he just missed being the youngest ever rider because the season started late. He's had two 16th places so far at Donington, the first and the last races at Donington. So it'll be great to see Storm uh, with the GR Motorsport bike on the podium sooner rather than later. The man, you could say, with the most intriguing dress sense in the paddock always grabs the attention, doesn't he, Storm Stacey? Some very colourful trousers, the hat as well. <laughs> He's a great character. He's an absolutely brilliant character to have in the paddock, and I can't wait for seeing him further towards the front of the field because he's got so much confidence. And he said in an interview, didn't he, on Eurosport, remember he's still only 17. He won't be 18 until next April. Um, but yeah, he said on an interview in Eurosport um, within the next five years, he hopes to be in the world championship. You know, this is great confidence from a rider with little experience, really. He was in the standard class of Moto3, uh, Moto Star, then the GP class. But he was winning there. He was having podiums there. Uh, and a real title contender. He was third in Moto Star in 2018. He was third in Stock 600 last year, 2019, and only six races so far in British Superbikes.
So I think I've covered everybody there. Let's have a quick chat about the support classes at Snetterton this weekend. Some incredible action. Uh, the Ducati Tri-Options Cup, we've got John McGuinness there, of course. Uh, and John actually joined Barry Nutley for sidecar commentary on Saturday. In terms of the Tri-Options, though, Josh Day, he's the reigning champion, uh, leading proceedings there at the moment. A double win for him in the Tri-Options Cup. Uh, the British Talent Cup. Of course, the Honda Talent Cup, as it's now known, some real drama there. Franco Bourne won on Saturday. The race two win went to Casey O'Gorman by two thousandths of a second ahead of Eddie O'Shea with Harvey Claridge third. Franco Bourne made a mistake and went down at the last corner, smacked into the fence, the, um, the special protective fencing there at the... Uh, at the Murray's corner, it used to be the Russell Chicane, of course, but it's the Murray's corner now. So he went into the rector cell. I was trying to remember the name there. Into the rector cell. Uh, it looked quite concerning at first, but thankfully he was just a bit winded, I think, and not knocked out. So Franco Bourne maintains his championship lead in the New Look Talent Cup for this year. And remember, there's a, a promotional prize there to get to the CV Moto3 Junior World Championship next year. So, so much to play for. Uh, Stock 1000. Just the one race for the Stock 1000, guys. I said before, Tom Neve won that one on the Honda. And it's interesting when the Ducati's not in the equation, which it isn't in stock thousand, that Honda looks so good in a straight line. And he was pulling away from Chrissy Rouse's BMW and Billy McConnell and Matt Trulive and the rest of them. Um, so great stuff for Tom Neve to win on the Honda in stock thousand. We had a pile up at the start of the super stock 600 race. They had one race this weekend and that was um, Sunday morning. Ben Luxton coming through to win on the JR performance. Kawasaki, Zach Corduroy was second. Reese Irwin was third. So Ben Luxton there doing the honours in Stock 600. And then just two more classes I haven't yet mentioned. One of them is British Super Sport, where Rory Skinner has done the honours yet again. The young Scott winning two more races. So he did the double at Donington. He's done the double again at uh, Snetterton. An interesting win for the GP2 ranks, the Harris. The Harris bike of Jack Scott went on Saturday, but it was Mason Law who overcame a false neutral on the Spirit Motor Corsa bike to win Sunday's race and therefore lead the GP2 standings. Remember, the GP2 bikes race within the uh, British Supersport class. Uh, and the sidecars. That's the only, uh, the only category I hadn't yet mentioned. It's been a great weekend, hasn't it, with all the support classes involved at uh, BSB. Great to have the sidecars there. But in the Molson Group British Sidecar Championship, Unbelievable racing. Um, Reeves is back. Tim Reeves with his new French passenger, Rousseau, won uh, on the Adolf chassis. As un unlike the rest of them, which are mostly LCRs, he's on the Adolf and he won on uh, Saturday and did it again to make it a double on Sunday, but in a tremendous finish. And uh, we caught the end of that race live, actually, on the main show. Most of these races are um, usually seen on the Eurosport player. Well, in fact, they're all available on the Eurosport player online, eurosportplayer.com. Check it out. Uh, and BSB Extra. But because we have every other BSB round uh, being a clash round with World Superbikes now with the modified schedule until the end of the season, Estoril, of course, having been added on to World Superbikes alongside Brands BSB. Because of that, we've tried to show as many of the support races live this weekend as possible on Eurosport TV itself. So brilliant finish to the end of the sidecar race. Reeves just beating Todd Ellis and Chaz Richardson, the reigning champions, a tenth of a second. Uh, Ricky Stevens and Johnny Allen, his new passenger, were third on the podium. 
And uh, incidentally, Ricky Stevens' old passenger, Ryan Charwood, is now with Steve Kershaw, um, who, of course, is a former champion himself. So um, watch out for all the action for the rest of the season for the sidecars with Tim Reeves doing the whole championship. Now that we know just recently the other day, the end of last week, the World Sidecar Championship has been cancelled for this year because of the pandemic. Uh, I lied to you before. I've missed one class. It's the Hell Performance British Junior Supersport Championship. Owen Jenner coming through to make it three out of three in uh, the first race on Saturday and then the Sunday race. I mean, incredible. Only 12 finishers. 12 finishers from the 32 old riders that started. The only race of the weekend, which was rain-affected, just what the organisers needed, wasn't it? At the end of a race weekend, they just wanted to get that last race out of the way. There was TV schedules to abide to as well. And then that delay and just chaos. So many of those uh, junior supersport riders not used to riding in the wet, not used to Snetterton in the wet. No previous wet running for anybody over the whole weekend. The track was like an absolute ice rink. Um, Owen Jenner, second this time. Joseph Thomas, though, his first win for 3D racing on the Kawasaki. Congratulations to Joseph. Great win. It was very much survival of the fittest. Uh, Lyndon Leatherland finally came good. Lyndon's been completely out of luck this year. Not deserved because he should have gone much better, but finally cracked the podium, storming through the pack today. Aidan Davey, the Scot, who's very quick. Um, difficult season so far this year. Fourth. And Seth Crump, uh, son of Jason Crump, of course, three times World Speedway champion, uh, led for a lot of the race, but finished fifth in the end on a Kawasaki. He was on a KTM last year. Remember, he did an outing at Donington and was actually in the lead of the race on his debut when he went down at Coppice Corner. Seth is on a Kawasaki now with MSS Performance, fifth today. So well done to the two winners in Junior Supersport, Owen Jenner, who continues to lead the championship, and uh, Joseph Thomas. But just chaos. Watch it back if you can on BSB Extra. There were people going down on the warm-up laps. They gave them two warm-up laps, including Ash Barnes, who was the new uh, track record rider. I was going to say man, but they're, they're only... <laughs> young riders in that class but ash went down he was one of three riders to go down on the two warm-up laps so he never got to start from his pole position in race two uh but really entertaining stuff in junior supersport and a quick shout out also for Lyndon leatherland not just for his third place on sunday but his uh, gear selector came off on the third lap of the saturday race so would you believe it he was actually having to lean down and upshift he could downshift okay but he was having to upshift with his hand he was having to use his hand, not his foot. Remember on a race bike, it's the other way around to, um, the pattern is the other way around to a road bike. So on a road bike, you use your left foot to flick the gear lever up to change up and down to change down. On a race bike, it's the other way around. So you're going down to change up and up to change down. So Lyndon could flick it up basically to change down. But when he needed to go up a gear, he was having to push it down with his hand. So well done to Lyndon for managing to do that in Junior Supersport in the first race of the weekend on Saturday. Uh, let me know your thoughts, by the way. Twitter, Greg Haynes TV. I've put a tweet on earlier on on uh, Sunday evening. Obviously, at times through this, I'm saying yesterday, but I'm meaning Sunday. Um, and I was just thinking the interesting point for me from Snetterton BSB is that pretty much anyone on the same bike or team as last year is struggling to get their head around the new larger tyres with the bigging, uh, the bigger rolling diameter. Riders on new bikes like the Hondas, Lee Jackson on his Kawasaki, seem to be going better at the moment. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. So Greg Haynes TV on Twitter 
if you are interested. And now, of course, we turn our attention, having had a great weekend in BSB um, and a safe weekend as well, which is always good. Fantastic there. They'll be back at Snet, uh, uh, sorry, at Silverstone. Not this weekend coming, but the one after. Now we turn our attention to World Superbikes. And that's going to be interesting because they've had a test, a two-day test, um, not the end of last week, but the week before. So straight after Jerez and Portimao, they went to Aragon, all of the factory teams, for a test on the Friday and the Thursday and the Friday. The independent teams couldn't all make it because of budgets. Budgets are really being stressed this year because a lot of sponsors will cover the race weekend, but not the tests. So we didn't see all of the private teams there, unfortunately. Although we did see Andrea Locatelli there, the World Supersport Championship leader. So he's had a good test and he's threatening to dominate again, isn't he? Could he come out of Aragon with four wins, I wonder, over the next two weekends? I wouldn't be surprised. For the good of the championship, I hope it doesn't happen, but I wouldn't be at all surprised. And it will be thoroughly deserved if he does it, because doing that test shows how seriously the Evan Bros team are taking things, aren't they? Um, so the Superbike teams, it's going to be interesting because going into free practice one, provided the weather's all fine and no weird situations there, they've already had this test so close to the race weekend. So Kawasaki, Yamaha, that's Pata, uh, Aruba Ducati, Honda, with lots of new parts because they've had quite a few struggles over the last few weeks, but they're, they're getting there now with Leon Haslam and Alvaro Bautista. All of these guys should already have a good base setup. So we might see some early race simulations done. I don't know whether it's going to be warm enough on the Friday morning, but we'll see. But you have to think everyone's going to be in good stead already when they get to Friday. Um, others, of course, are going to have ground to make up. The private teams, it, this is going to be, I, I do believe, one of their more difficult weekends for the reasons I've just said. They haven't all been able to test. So people like Pachetti with Xavi Forres, uh, Michael Rubin Rinaldi with Go11, uh, Ten Carter with Loris Bass. They did a test recently at Assen, but they haven't done the Aragon test. People like that, it might be a little bit more challenging because they're not going to have that experience from the two days of testing that all of the big teams have had. We'll see. Hopefully I'll be proven wrong, but we'll see what happens. And it's not just one weekend, of course. It's two the Aragon round, and then the Tell Well round. So James Whittam and I will be live in the commentary box on Friday. And then Julian Ryder's joining us then for the rest of the season, the, fi uh, the final four rounds. Of course, we will have another one in Aragon, the Tell Well round. We've got a round at Barcelona. We've got Magni Cor. Uh, and Estoril has now been added to the schedule. Estoril in Portugal, for the first time since 1993, will stage World Superbikes at the end of this season. Argentina's been officially cancelled now. We knew it was going to be anyway. And Mizano is off as well. As we've said already this year, that wasn't going to happen. We knew that wasn't going to happen anyway, but it's now been officially announced. So Estoril will be hosting the final round of the World Superbike season. Uh, quick touch as well, of course, on MotoGP. Three new winners in the classes. Uh, what an incredible series of events it was at the, uh, I nearly said the Austrian Grand Prix, the Styrian Grand Prix. Scary stuff, of course, for uh, Maverick Vinales having to jump off the Yamaha. And how quickly did the airfen stop that Yamaha? Dead stop when he came off at turn one on Sunday afternoon. But three new winners, Celestino Vietti on the KTM in KTM's backyard. Of course, they're absolutely overcome with emotion at that one. Marco Bezzecchi winning on the uh, Calix, as most of them are, of course, in Moto2. Uh, but obviously some uh, controversy there with uh, Jorge Martin getting his penalty as well. But either way, 
Marco Bezecchi winning for the first time. Congratulations to Marco in Moto2. And then another new winner this season. Absolutely incredible. Miguel Oliveira on the KTM in Austria. Two KTMs on the podium, but it's the Tech 3 KTM that wins the Grand Prix. Jack Miller's Primark Ducati second. What a podium. Paula Spargo third for the KTM factory team. So isn't it amazing this year in MotoGP? We've had, what, five Grand Prix now, four different winners. And they've pretty much all been new winners, haven't they? Apart from Andrea Di Vizioso. It's just incredible. Fabio Quartararo winning twice. Brad Binder winning once. And Oliveira now, the first ever Portuguese winner. Miguel Oliveira, one of the nicest guys in motor racing. Of that, there is no doubt. Winning the Syrian Grand Prix. So let's just recap the championship standings before we sign off. It's Glenn Irwin leading in British Superbikes from Bridewell, Eden. Brooks, O'Halloran, and Andy Irwin. That's your top six there. Or Andrew Irwin. I'll say Andrew because I know he prefers Andrew over Andy. In terms of MotoGP, Fabio Quartararo now just with a three-point championship lead over Andrea Davizioso. Jack Miller, third place. Brad Binder is fourth. Maverick Vinales is fifth with Taka Nakagami completing the top six. Who on earth would have thought that would be the top six at this stage of the year? Um, by the way, Mark Marcus has done his first interview since the crash in Jerez, and he reckons that his money would be on either Dovi or Quartararo for the title. He said, I might put Vinales in there, but you've got to be more consistent. And sure enough, they failed to finish again uh, this weekend. Rossi, Valentina Rossi, is seventh in the World Championship. Juan Mir is eighth for Suzuki. And then the winner of Sunday's Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring, Miguel Oliveira, ninth, with Paul Spargaro, podium finisher there, completing the championship top 10. As for World Superbikes, how do things stand there heading into six critical races at Motorland Aragon, where Chas Davis has won on no fewer than seven occasions in the past? Jonathan Ray, a very slim four-point championship lead over Scott Redding. Now, they more or less cancelled each other out over Jerez and Portimao. Jonathan, I think, scoring 11 more points than Scott had. So they're more or less back to where they were after Phillip Island on the 1st of March. Jonathan Ray, four-point lead over Scott Redding. Toprak is, what, 33 points behind Jonathan Ray. So he's not out of this yet by any stretch of the imagination. And Alex Lowe's, I was chatting to him the other day, um, and he was saying that a lot of people are bigging this up, including us, I'm not going to lie, bigging this up as the Ray and Redding show, because I, I personally do think they are the favourites for the title this year. But Alex Lowe's just said, lots of people are saying that, but I want to have a go as well here. And Alex Lowe's, you've got to remember, hasn't had that much experience on the Kawasaki yet. In particular, in the scorching hot conditions we've seen in Jerez and Portimao. And he actually did all right at those rounds. Jerez, he really compromised himself in terms of qualifying. Portimao, uh, Alex actually fought back there, if you remember, uh, and had two fourth places and could have had another one, if not a podium, when he crashed out of the final race. So watch out for Alex Lowe's. Michael Vandermark is fifth. And then... Chaz Davis. Now, he's sixth in the championship at the moment, but surely now this is the moment where Chaz could attack. He's hoping to turn up at Aragon on Friday and that Ducati have given him everything he wants with the feedback he's given them in terms of what he needs from that motorcycle from the Aragon test. He said he found a few positives, but it also in turn created a few negatives. So hopefully they can dial out the negatives and bring the positives to the fore because from a neutral standpoint, how good would it be to see Chaz Davis back up there again? fighting with them. This championship is by no means over yet. 
James Whittam and I will be live for free practice. Please send in your tweets. Start doing it now if you want to, if you're listening to the podcast. Jim Witt 69 and Greg Haynes TV. We'll be checking our timeline across the week and we'll be answering those questions when we're live on the Eurosport player and on Eurosport TV on Friday. In the meantime, I hope I haven't bored you for too long. I'm bound to have forgotten something with this podcast, so my apologies if I've missed anybody out, but hopefully we've got most of it all covered. Many thanks. Greg Haynes TV on Twitter if you want to give us a follow. Eurosport underscore UK. Eurosport underscore UK to follow the Eurosport Twitter account with all of the updates from uh, not just the worlds of motorcycle racing, but snooker and tennis and cycling and the many other sports we cover. Uh, And finally, if you don't mind, if you haven't already, see if you can subscribe to the Full Throttle podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on the Eurosport website and other good podcast suppliers as well. So there we go. Dramatic weekend in MotoGP. Dramatic weekend in BSB. And now we head for the first of two rounds at Motorland Aragon. And that'll mark the first time ever in World Superbike history that we've had consecutive rounds, consecutive race meetings at the same circuit. We have revisited circuits in the past. I'm thinking places like Donington, Brands Hatch as well. There was one year going back a a few years when Brands Hatch, I'm pretty sure, had three race meetings in one season. Uh, But we've never had consecutive race meetings before at the same circuit. So that's what Aragon is going to be doing. Uh, Of course, the cynics will say that the reason there's going to be so many MotoGP and World Superbike races at Aragon this year is because Dorna CEO Carmelo Espeleta owns the facility. Makes perfect sense though, doesn't it? Things are so difficult this year to get races organized. If you own the circuit, why not have a few rounds there? So great stuff for the Northeastern Spanish venue. We'll be live then. I'm going to stop nattering away now and let you get on with the rest of your day or night. Thanks for listening to Full Throttle and I'll be back with James for the next podcast next Monday. Thanks for me and speak to you on Friday with Aragon Free Practice.